0: A place where all your stuff is. Where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Middle Eastern Studies. I'm your host, Aliza Arjan. Today, I'm joined by Yaka, senior researcher at the Institute of Geographical Sciences, Freie Universität Berlin. We'll be talking about her book, Fighting for the River, Gender, Body, and Agency in Environmental Struggles, published recently by the University of California Press. So thank you very much, Özge, for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, Alize. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start by getting to know you. Can you tell us about yourself and how you conceived of this book?
3: Yeah, sure. So I'm from Turkey and I studied in Ankara, um, studied political science uh, at the Middle Eastern Technical University. And uh, I also completed my master's in the same department. Uh, Then I did my PhD in sociology at Lancaster University in the UK. And then I returned back to Turkey. Of course, like lots of things happened in between. I returned back to Turkey and uh, worked in the Turkish University briefly. Uh, and then I applied for a postdoc position uh, in Berlin, which was led by Nancy Fraser, because Nancy was an Einstein fellow back then in Berlin. Um, and she was leading a project called Rethinking Crisis. Um, uh, back in 2013, it was. And then I applied. It was actually like by chance. And to my surprise, she accepted my application. And I moved to Berlin. And that's how I actually started this research project, which slowly turned into this book, you know, very slowly. <laughs> and, and also like um, changing its, its form a lot. Um, And within all these years that I spent in Berlin, then I went to Paris also uh, a year again with Nancy in Collège d'études mondial, and I turned back to Berlin again. And this project grew a new skin, uh, so to say, um, and I abandoned my starting point, which was very much inspired by my own background as a Marxist political economy person, Um, And also um, Nancy's theory at the time of multiple crises was like she was um, trying to develop a framework in which like this crisis of ecology, crisis of representation, crisis of economy, crisis of social reproduction, like how they come together and so. And my initial idea was to understand local environmental struggles as a manifestation of this, you know, multiple and multi-layered crises. But you know, after I went to the to the field, and um, like the whole thing changed um, a lot. But maybe we can talk about it uh, afterwards.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, actually, my next question was about the many versions of this book and your fieldwork. So I'm glad you left it there. Um, so in the book, you tell us that you conducted this really capacious multi sided fieldwork on the struggles against hydroelectric power plants in Turkey, but the book centered on the East Black Sea region. So what about the East Black Sea region moved you to developing a body-centered approach to environmental struggles?
3: Yeah, this is a very, very important question. I think it is the central question that I can say. Um, because, yes, as you say, I uh, conducted field research also in the Mediterranean region, where I'm from, um, actually, and uh, East and Southeast uh, Anatolia, including the Kurdish, Kurdish parts of the country, um, and also in the East Black Sea region, uh, because like one of, a part of my initial idea was to do a kind of a comparative analysis also, and um, but, uh, you know, yeah, more and more, I kind of, I decided to focus on East Plexi region. Why? I mean, a short answer is, is that it was very difficult to analyze that case with the existing literature. So, so there is like kind of very established um, accounts, approaches within this environmental justice literature, within political ecology literature, environmental struggles literature and so on. And the other cases that, that I observed, that I, that I kind of uh, researched, were kind of fitting into these approaches in a way. And in the, in the Mediterranean region, for example, you know, the struggle was very much about livelihoods uh, because the, the waters of the rivers are used for agriculture, for subsistence agriculture, as the summers are very long and dry. Uh, and it is impossible, actually, for the small farmers to sustain this, this agricultural practice, um, you know, uh, without agri- uh, irrigation. Um, so this is like very much uh, like what this political ecology literature, what like people like Martinez Alia, for example, calls environmentalism of the poor. Um, and so the basic idea is that, you know, people, especially in the rural areas, especially in the global south, the people who are struggling to protect environmental entities or environmental commons are doing that because they depend on them, you know, very in the very immediate economic sense. So that was kind of the case for the Mediterranean region. And for the Kurdish region, it kind of fits into another very central frame, which is recognition. Because, like, the whole struggle for you know, against in the, in the Kurdish region, um, by the way, it is more about dams, not like small scale hydroelectric power plants, like in the, in the Black Sea region. So, in like the well known case is Hassan Cave, the Ulusu, Ulusu Dam, but also there's a very big anti dam struggle in Darsim uh, region, for example, and also in parts of in other parts of uh, Kurdish region, like in Kub and so and this is very much embedded in the, in the Kurdish uh, struggle for autonomy, for political autonomy and the struggle uh, for sovereignty over na- you know, uh, natural resources, as, as it is called in the literature, over environmental entities is a part of it. So is a, is a, is a dimension of this kind of um, struggle for autonomy which is very much the case like in in indigenous struggles, for example, in many parts of the world, in Latin America, in the US, in Canada and so. Um, So it was like two like really strong kind of cases fitting into two very strong approaches. And and I thought, okay, this is interesting and this is important. But, you know, (laughs) let me like put my energy into something that is kind of a little bit falling into a gap, so a little bit, like, more difficult to really understand and and analyze, which is the East Plexi case, because in the East Plexi region, um, the main thing is people do not use river waters at all for agriculture. It's like monocultural agriculture of of tea and hazelnut. Uh, And the rainfall sustains it, so there's no need for irrigation there. There's no, like, kind of that kind of agriculture. Um, And also, um, even though, like, the East Black Sea um, villages are home to Laz and Hampton peoples, uh, those ethnicities are very much integrated into, you know, Turkish national identity, and there's no struggle for, you know, political autonomy or sovereignty over resources or so And uh, there's also no relationship of belief or worshipping or secrecy or so, you know, like kind of in terms of secrecy of water or waterscapes, like we see in Dersin region, for example. So so that was really interesting case. So that was really interesting to see uh, because at the same time, it is the hotbed of of the struggle. So like there are really strong struggles going on there. And it is it is the place very much associated with the struggle actually, uh, in you know in the media in the public opinion and so. Uh, and the question was like, why? You know, why do people you know, <laughs> fight the, to protect the rivers if they if they don't use them if they don't worship them if 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 they have no kind of that kind of cultural political you know, status or, or significance and so. So what was it? So that was, I think, the central question of the book that became the central question of the book through field work. Um, and then I decided, okay, so i
2: I want to work on this. Yeah, thanks so much for taking us through. You know, like so much nuance around how you thought about this and giving really placing the book within the context of um Turkey more broadly and you know you mentioned the secrecy of water, and my next question is about um. You know, inviting you to think uh, more about that with us, which you've already done in the book. So uh, even though, you know, water is not something worship necessarily in the book, there's this common refrain um, that your interlocutors bring up calling water, God's water. And I'd love to hear more about how seeing water through God shaped your understanding of the commons in conversation with the corporeal.
3: Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. That's a very nice question also. And that was something that I kind of with one of one of the reviewers of the book actually raised this question. Like you say, uh, like there's no secrecy there, but actually there's like like a very strong um he was also like working with I think religious studies and so on. Um but there's this like very interesting frame of God's water there. And and that's true. So it's like I I should say maybe like there's no relationship of secrecy or worship, but of course, like belief is 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 a part of a whole thing. but I see like how I see it, I see like God's water as a very, very apt definition of what we say environmental commons and and I wanted to bring it out up in a way as um as an entry point to to this kind of issue of of commons um and because i think what this this term guts water um so maybe a little bit background so people were saying a lot like in, you know in the interviews and in the observations like that was something that was used a lot so this is guts water this is guts like nobody can take it you know nobody can you know and because like this this small scale hydropower plants hydroelectric power plants in the region were done by private companies so it's kind of a privatization of of um you know, rivers in a way, your waters. And that was like a, like a strong argument, you know, strong claim that this is this is God's water, like no private company, and not even the state actually can can claim that uh, water. And I see that, yeah, this is interesting because this is a very apt kind of a religious, cultural religious framing uh, of environmental common because it, it very much captures the idea that so rivers cannot be treated as property. So neither mm-hmm. private nor public. So, and uh, because no one can have them. No one can have a total claim on them. No one can own them. They belong to anyone and everyone. Um, and there's, there's a quote that I use uh, in, in the book that I wanted to also quote here. This is from an elected village head, the Muhtar, we say in Turkish, of Arulu village in the region. So what he says is, is that, I quote, so if you live in this valley, this nature, this water, this air, this sun is ours. But when we say they are ours, we don't mean that we own them as our property. We don't have the ownership of them, but they are ours. So I think it's a very, very kind of Successful definition of it, and um, in response to your your question about the corporeal, about like how how it kind of relates. Um, so I should say like why I say that it has you know this kind of um, bodily corporeal relationship that I describe in the book. Why why I say that it's not you know religious or belief related in a way. Like it's very much different from, like, let's say, um, the relationship of women in India with with ganges, you know. Like this is this is a very much religiously loaded, you know. Even though it's also co- very much corporeal, like religiously loaded relationship. Here it, it is different, so there's not that that kind of loadedness, um, and. Uh, so it is not, in a way, this kind of relationship is not experienced within the realm of ritual or secrecy. Um, but this, this kind of maybe like the relation could be that this understanding, this religious framing of the common is also uh, like provide the context in which this relationship that I describe is, is established and maintained. Because when the river is open, the river is open to to, to all so it's open to all to to hear to touch to to drink you know to um to look at and to to enjoy so it is kind of a very much kind of open source and 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 people have this kind of corporal relationship very intimate relationship because of that because of openness so this is this kind of creates the context and also functions as a strong claim of legitimacy, I would say.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for, you know, really taking us through the gist of that question. Um, And, you know, speaking of the corporal, I want to devote some time to talking about the incisive gendered critique you bring in the book. Uh, So, you know, in the book, you show us that How people frame their relationships to rivers and struggles around them are very much gendered and rooted in sensory memory, alongside uh, how it's so corporal. So, can you speak to the role of sensory and memory in how environmental struggles are gendered? Yeah.
3: Yeah. um, Very good question. Again, and I could say that you know, sensory and, and memory are gendered uh, in as much as they're very much embedded in a very thoroughly gendered uh, life world. So which is life world is a world of experience. It's a phenomenological term. Um, so like, and, um, and that's how I, I think I use phenomenology a lot in, in the book because the, the conceptual advantage of the, the term phenomenological body or lived body, you know, as Melaponte uses it, Um, and especially in the hands of feminists you know feminist scholarships um, that it manifests that that the body or our bodies are not like free floating you know things but they are very much situated very much located within a uh, specific spatial social cultural context and relations of power Um, and bodily senses uh, and effects and also body memory that I talk about in in the book, uh, so these are about the capacities, like bodily capacities, which is not itself maybe gendered, so which which is an, anonymous in a way. But these capacities are always, always already realized within those you know contexts, within those relations of power that I, that I'm talking about. So there is no, uh, in a way, anonymous body per se. Um, so in the in the in the life world, in the living world. Um, and um, so in a way, so it is very much, bodily capacities are very much effectuated, very much manifested within certain habitual dispositions and um, how these habitual dispositions are, are shaped um, in our context, in the in the East Plexi region. Um, so they are shaped by, as maybe also anywhere else, by gender division of labor, a lot, um, structures of dwelling, social and cultural organizations of uh, everyday life, and also geographical and cultural configurations of patriarchy, you know, as a relation of power. Mm -hmm. Um, So, And how it translates uh, to the everyday life of women, that women are responsible for agricultural work. Because agricultural work is understood as, as a kind of extension of housework in the region. And it is women who are outside, um, like in the, in the very dramatic landscape of, of the Black region who are outside, like working in the tea fields, working in the hazelnut fields, work sometimes also with animals, with cattle and goats and, and so on. And they're always also by a river and with a river. So it is always, it kind of requires this kind of daily routine relationship that you have with the river and um, so that's why that is the context in which like this very intimate you know very strong relationship is, is established so it is not uh, so es- an essentialist thing in that way so i'm not saying that it is you know women who establishes that relationship because they are closer to nature or anything else it is this uh, through this kind of very material conditions of dwelling, of everyday life, of a gender division of labor, that that women are establishing this relationship more than men. So I don't say that men do not have that relationship. And in the book, I also use men's experiences and, and sometimes accounts. And so, um, uh, but women, in, in the case of women, it is very much more kind of, uh, accented, it is very much like present, and also very much present in their discourses and narratives about about the struggle. Um, so, and and also this this relationship, uh, which is kind of established through bodily effects and and bodily senses, and so they are also um, provide the basis for body memory. So, like this is how also body memory emerges, and body memory is is something that I took from a German, which is like funny psychiatrist, neurologist, Thomas Fuchs. But I think it's very useful for social scientists, for anthropologists, you know, sociologists and so out there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what really struck me was just like, how you took us through, you know, how gender and memory are not these free-floating items. You also show us that your interlocutors make claims uh, grounded in ontology, gender, and agency. And led by them, you draw our attention to environment. You draw our attention from environmental justice to what you call socio-ecological justice. And I'd love to hear about what's at stake in making this shift. Yeah,
3: um, yeah, it was the socio justice. That was something that I thought about a lot while, while developing it. And um, because I'm not always necessarily very sympathetic about like always developing new terms and, and you know, <laughs> new, new concepts and so. But it was something that I really felt that this is maybe needed. And uh, not necessarily as an alternative to environmental justice. So it's not that, oh, it's not environmental justice, but socioecological justice, but it could be also it could also be seen as a kind of intervention to expand the borders, the existing borders of, of environmental justice. And maybe maybe justice in general in, in, in a broader um, level. Um, because like the main idea of environmental justice, which is I'm very sympathetic, so which I, I work uh, a lot with, um, is this unfair or unjust distribution of environmental goods and hazards. So, so this very, very much distributional uh, idea, which is then expanded you know, over time uh, to include like um, certain other conceptions of justice, like justice as recognition. Uh, and also justice as enhancing um, capabilities justice as representation and so so Nancy's work was was also used in in this area a lot um so and which is like very important very important work um but i was always thinking maybe i have this kind of eye for for gaps in in, in general so i was also thinking like um so it's it's kind of not enough. It remains short of understanding and explaining some of the environmental struggles of our time, uh, and the claims of those struggles. And how I see this this claim is this claim is very much about coexistence. Uh, mm-hmm. So like coexistence with non-human others, you know, non-human entities, beings, beings things, organisms, environments, whatever, and um, and this kind of not because, not necessarily because people use them, you know, sometimes they do, but not, not necessarily because people, you know, use them immediately um, or depend on them or worship them or so, but um, also because they have a very close relationship with them. Uh, you know, this relationship, Yeah, not only it is very much bodily, it's very much corporeal, but... Uh, not only corporeal, not only cultural, but what I would call social, you know, like a social relationship. Um, and this relationship is very fundamental to their socio-ecological existence, to their identity, to their way of living, and to their well-being, and also to their claims of justice. So this is also like very much about their their struggles for justice. And... Um, that's why I use relational ontology a lot because, like uh, this relational ontology, I think depicts um, that and also Mary like who says being in in division, um, and the idea is that the relations, uh, the relations are, you know, the relations that we have, human and non-human others, are um, prior and uh, uh, prior to this entity, so and constitutive of this entity. So it's not that like we already exist. And these relations like connect us, but these relations make us actually. These relations, pro- you know, produce us. Um, and so, um, I think with socioecological justice, uh, what I want to do is to frame this this relationality, to this relational ontology um, between human and non-human forms of life as a matter of justice. Um, it's theoretically. Uh, I think an intervention to expand the borders of justice in general and environmental justice in particular and um, and kind of break with this nature, society duality in the field of justice, and which is sometimes like we can see that in, the real, in 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 this kind of literature of justice, sometimes in the form of environmental justice versus ecological justice. So which is kind of like breaking this, this, this duality in a way and articulating this very much internal relation and interconnection like within this, this, this field. Um, but there's also um, a political side, as you say, like politically, I think um, what, what it does it to maintain Um, that non-human entities and environments are fundamental, not only to our biological or ecological existence, but also to our social life and relations. Um, And since I come from sociology, actually, like this, this, this classical idea of social is like this relations between people. But actually, I, we know from many different fields right now. So the relations between people cannot be taught, like, you know, without mediation, without the intervention of the non-human. Um, and so what I was thinking that we need to, I mean, not, not me, of course, a lot of people, like we need to think, um, you know, terms like society, sociality, self, subjectivity maybe even democracy, you know, like that kind of terms, like I would, like political terms, political conceptions, social terms and conceptions, you know, in the light of this relational ontological understanding, um, you know, Latour was saying, you know, I'm not like necessarily like this, you know, science and technology studies person, actor network theory person, but what Latour says, like something like a progressive composition of a common world. So like that kind of a like, commonality, um actually, and to, to, to create this kind of common world, I think it's important um, to see our relationships, not just, you know, non-human things and environments in itself, but our relationships with them, our relationality with them as a part of it.
1: slash NBN50 to get 50% off.
0: Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia housing and see how home helps everyone.
2: Absolutely, and I really admire how you know, you're able to bring um, different ways of thinking together uh, within this book and throughout our interview. And you no, know, I I want to ask you about how you think, and this question might come off a bit odd, but you know, as I read the book, it seemed to me that You add nuance to environmental struggles in triads. So, for instance, you put them in conversation with gender body agency or resources, livelihoods, life worlds, which we talked about a little bit, or ethics, ontology, relationality. So, yeah, as I was reading, I was very curious about what thinking in triads do for you methodologically, if it's even, you know, something pertinent to how you think.
3: (laughs) Yeah, actually, um, they they emerged through writing, like not uh. So they weren't there. Like when I, <laughs> as, as I told you, like it's actually nothing were there when I started. <laughs> <this>. <laughs> and um, so um, I think they appeared like very slowly through this conversation of 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 empirical data of all these observations and and, and interviews and so, and um, you know, and theories and concepts and. How, how I was trying to like make sense of it uh, all, and this triads like gender body agency is is the main one maybe it's in the title of the book also, and uh, it's depicts maybe the main frame that that I try to make make sense of like all I saw and all I heard and so, um, and the main idea is that you know body centered uh, environmental activism of of women and understanding the body which was I think you know very much lacking in the literature, understanding the body not only as a vehicle you know like that activism is is kind of mm, maintained or so but but as constitutive of political agency so how we could think about agency uh, through the body. So that was this body gender agency kind of triad and resources livelihoods life world triad was that, um, you know, I was really excited actually reading about the life, life world because I, I didn't know about phenomenology also before. So, so like, I came like through through this this study and I was, like, wow, this is amazing because it's, like, it was also, um like, how I was trying to, like, shift the attention from the first two to, to the third because, like, how I was trying to show, like, environmental entities are not, not, only, uh, like, um, could we couldn't treat them not like always only as resources to sustain livelihoods, but they are a very central, very constitutive parts of our life world, which is the world of experience. So this is this this kind of triad, triad was was that and ethics ontology relationality that I enjoyed very much, but also I was kind of Mm, how can I say, cautious about that, because I also talk about a lot of like um, indigenous ontologies, relational ontologies, and so, um, you know, belief, and so other things like quite sensitive things. But I also, I think, ha- had certain kind of edge there in in, in a way to, um, to understand how, like the ethical and ontological, which is also lacking ethical and ontological implications of, um, you know, human non-human relationality, which motivate this environmental struggle. So how could we see environmental struggles through these concepts of relationality, ethics, ontology? So what, the, what, what is, what is out there um, and not, not always a kind of reducing them to culture and belief, but, but seeing also like the material, the bodily kind of relations uh, that maintain, that sustain them. Um, yeah, I think that was this this kind of triad. So it's, it wasn't like very much intentional, but then I realized, okay, like that that works well as, as kind of these triads and I used them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And yeah, how you respond also... I think speaks very well to your approach to the book, like the book or the ideas there didn't exist prior to you writing it, but was shaped by your writing and thinking. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So thanks for taking us through that. Um, Yeah. And, you know, throughout our conversation, you mentioned many backgrounds, your background in political science, sociology. Now you're in a geography institute. Um, And I think that, sensibility really comes across in the book like to me the book really read like at times read like a work of literary scholarship or cultural criticism since you pay close attention to documentaries discourses in the media or published interviews so can you tell us about what it meant for you to work across different resources and what it meant for you to attend to what is said about hydroelectric power plants and how they were said
3: yeah, it's a very interesting question, and I think um, what I should say is that I could never like made sense of disciplinary divisions, um, and maybe also methodological ones, <laughs> um, and yeah, that kind of reflects in my own <laughs> academic biography <laughs> in a way. Um, but also, like apart from political science, sociology, and geography, I, like I read a lot of philosophy, anthropology, you know, feminist theory, obviously indigenous studies, environmental humanities, and so. And I always have difficulty when people ask me, you know, what you do, and there was there was like this um, conversation uh, with, an, with a the philosopher who said ah. Oh, the work you do is, is like excellent environmental philosophy, and I was like, "What, what? <laughs> So it's like, and you say now cultural criticism, and like, which is nice. I have no idea. It's like I think how I, how I work is, um, which is not even a choice in a way. Which is the only only thing that I could do. I think is to follow a question. Uh, and you know, trying to think on on that question, trying to explain certain phenomena, and in in this book, like for for example, you know, why these people are fighting, you know, uh, like tooth to nail to protect these rivers that that they don't use, they don't worship. It's not they don't have this political significance for them, and so so. And why do women are on the forefront? Why they talk differently? You know, why they use like different discourses, different narratives, and. Like which stresses this kind of bodily relationship, like how how it comes comes about. So this is like this kind of questions that I try to understand and follow and so, and these resources, you're right. So I used a lot of um, I used my own observations and 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 I was so inexperienced in in field research. so I ne- never did field research before. and I, I remember like um, he's now like one of my best friends, like this anthropologist friend like, talking to an anthropologist friend and asking, like, how you do it, like, how it works. And he told me, like, go there, take a lot of notebooks with you, talk to a lot of people, record if you can, but also write every day, you know, like this kind of field notebook, which, like, helped me a lot. So I had, like, a lot of notebooks in, in the end. Um, and so I used a lot of them, but I also used like, why not? Like the, the, the works that like done by other people, but, you know, not, not only by academics, but journalists, you know, interviews that made by journalists, like media accounts, social media material, documentaries, as you say, like whatever I could find um, on the subject, whatever I could lay my ha- hands on. Uh, so I, I used them. And um, and I think um, I kind of enjoy like establishing relations or trying to think together like with different sources of, of, of knowledge also be- like, between like different disciplines, different fields, different, also different theories and concepts. So it's not like, I think phenomenology is quite central in the book, but I use a lot of other sources and other, other approaches with it. I think I, I enjoy it, and I think it's the only way that I could do it, and which is not always um, very kind of um, preferable, I would say, <laughs> uh, because it also makes it difficult to locate yourself uh, within this um, academic structures, um, you know, and uh, especially the country I live in, Germany. Uh, uh, like it's even more conservative, so like this, this borders between disciplines are even more kind of prominent, uh, and it is sometimes difficult. But I think that's the way I could do it, and that's the way I enjoy to do
2: it. And that's the way I enjoyed reading the book. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, I know you mentioned how. You don't necessarily like being confined to a particular discipline, but as an anthropologist, I can't not ask you a question about um, the fieldwork portion. <laughs> so, um, yeah, something I really liked is how each chapter starts with an excerpt from an interview. So I'm curious what it meant for you to front load the chapters with your interlocutor's words and without necessarily mediating them, so putting them there as they are.
3: Yeah, um, very good question. I think I took the fieldwork like very seriously, maybe because I don't know <laughs> a lot about it, you know, because it's like I, I only worked with, you know, texts and, you know, like that kind of material before. And it was, you know, the first fieldwork, like as a postdoc, you know, the first field fieldwork kind of ex- experience. And I was so amazed. So I was like, wow, because be- before I was kind of, I had this all this kind of like prejudice, you know, ab- about the fieldwork. I was thinking, ah, people already have their concepts and ideas, and they go and they pick, pick, you know, certain certain things that that fits, and then you know, what's the purpose, you know? Um, but I was like really amazed, and that that shifted like everything for me. That you know shifted my perspective, shifted the theories, concepts that I that I use, shifted the discipline that I'm in, you know. I wasn't a geographer you know but I suddenly like found myself in geography like publishing geography journals I wasn't a feminist at least in the in the methodological kind of intellectual sense politically yes but you know I wasn't I wasn't like working with feminist methodology or or anything like that but it forced me to so it kind of pushed me uh, to and I wasn't a phenomenologist I didn't know any, anything about so it was all through the data so I'm really grateful. Actually, it's all through the data that that like all these things emerge all through the all through the fieldwork, and um, and like the words that 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 you ask, it wasn't also a very much conscious decision, but I think what I felt was um, like people could sometimes depict the things that I want to discuss like much better than I could ever do. So this is like like the like the thing that I was reading. So this is like very much like out there, and this is like you know so much well framed and, and so. And wh- why not use it as it is? You know why not just like kind of made mediated always. I mean, I, mean some, I sometimes of course tell the stories and mediate, but I I also like to kind of give it as as quotes quotations like kind of mm, how can I say so. Let this this voice to to kind of shape the book, lead the book, as, as it led me, because it was these, it was through these voices that, you know, my concepts, my discipline, my my perspective, my everything has changed, and I think it was like a good decision to kind of let it to uh, to find its way in the book, also.
2: Yeah, I agree. See, fieldwork—it's not that bad. <laughs> No, (laughs) 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 no but thank yeah thank you for sharing you know sort of the whole process uh around it um i'm also curious about how you wrote about how rivers feel, which is a very important part of the book. So what was your approach to taking in how rivers are felt in the fieldwork, And how did you use writing and visuals to convey how rivers feel? Yeah, I think
3: I prioritized um, kind of listening people and listening like their accounts, like how, how rivers feel. Um, you know then feeling the river myself um, because I think it has a f- like a few different kind of uh, reasons uh, one reason was, was that as I thought like I didn't have the intention to focus on these feelings and sensations actually and it was be- like people started to talk about it, women you know like women started to talk about it and uh, I feel really lucky that I was open enough to hear that so I was open enough to, to not to like let it go you know like this is not important and so and so um, and and then like in in time I realized like okay this is really pervasive this is really like central thing like like people tell a lot about their experiences with river and how it feels you know like the way they hear it, the way they see it, the way they touch it, swim in it, and so, so and like their childhood, like with all the sensation and so. So this is a very cent- central thing, obviously, and but I didn't have the chance to to develop that kind of like very, um, how can I say, strong like con- connections and and feelings myself because I stayed. I you know I as, as you say I went to like three different regions and I. Went to like various villages in in each region, so I couldn't stay long anywhere. Of course, I kind of had these experiences of like touching it, hearing it, seeing it, and it was impressive, like a lot, like different rivers. But um, I didn't have the chance to like really kind of delve in it in terms of like feelings, um, which is yeah, which is something kind of maybe like I I would like. Change if I had the chance now, but um, also, I don't know, I'm not regretting like this kind of methodological uh, choice per se because it is, I think, through that kind of you know, through going different regions that I could see that okay, this is this is different, like there's something different here, um, that that I could you know focus on. Um, otherwise I couldn't, you know, identify the difference, you know, I couldn't explain that the way I I explained in in the beginning of our, our interview or like going different villages in the same region, in the East Plexi region also like made me realize, okay, this is not particular to, you know, a specific place or specific river. This is like really kind of across the region. This is, this is something that you see, um, you know, very kind of, um, how can I say, clearly, it's very observ- observable across, across the region. And uh, so so I don't regret it. But now if I had the chance, I would like to probably like stay much longer in one or two villages, you know, and to, to develop that kind of experience myself. I, I also didn't have the chance to go back, you know, after like in the analysis uh, phase or so because of, the political situation in Turkey. I'm I'm a signee of academics for peace petition. There was a case back then in 2016 um, against us and then like, you know, other, other things and then, but I still you know, <laughs> want to go with my family also. I want to show you know, my partner and my child like those rivers and then like stay there and so I would really like to, you know, feel it also myself. But what I did was I read a lot of anthropology and phenomenology of water so to understand like so to um not only to understand myself but to connect with the accounts of people you know to to really to really try to make sense of what what are they talking about and how do other people you know feel it you know in other parts of the world you know what is really like touching water you know what is hearing it you know what are these effects? What are these sensations? And how it is experienced and how it is described? And so, so to, to, to make sense of it. Um, and I grew up by the sea. So my, my balcony, our balcony was literally on the sea in, in Göcek, in, like, in a, like a tiny kind of place in, in Turkey. That was tiny at the time. That was a fishing village. Now it's like it's a rich people's place. And we don't live there anymore. <laughs> but, so I have this very kind of internal relationship with water myself, um, seawater, so it's a bit different than, than river water. But but it was easy for me in that sense, especially when I was writing on touch. So like being in water, immersion, and like that, that kind of issues that I know very well from myself because like... Um, this is a place that i feel most comfortable so in in water um so maybe there was also a personal connection
2: yeah thanks very much for sharing this with us and no this is one of the main reasons why i love doing these podcasts we get to learn about things that maybe didn't go into the book or the kinds of choices that went into it so i really appreciate learning more about it um so my last question is what is next for you what are some new projects or questions in which you're interested currently
3: yeah (laughs) Timely. Um, actually, um, I want to take some time out of, of academic life. Um, that's my plan now. <laughs> so, like, m- maybe a year or so. So, that's. that's <laughs> Sounds <yeah>. great. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, to, to, to read and write and to also think and go around like more freely. Um, and um, so I, I started a book, a non-academic book uh, when I become a mother uh, six years ago uh, on motherhood uh, in Turkish because I was like really um, having like a lot of emotions at the same time, struggling with a lot of things, and started to read feminist literature on on motherhood, you know, as a survival strategy <laughs> actually. And then realized that we don't have like that kind of literature a lot in Turkey. Uh, especially on 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 motherhood, and and I decided I, w- I was writing like some parts, you know, myself, but I decided maybe it's like I can write something like this, like using my experience, but also in dialogue with feminist literature, and 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 so, and I started, but I couldn't, of course, finish because of you know academic projects, like going and motherhood itself, <laughs> also, so. Um, Maybe I finished that book. I want to read and write on phenomenology also, because I think it's, it's kind of, it's a relevant theory and methods to, to think about and to discuss um, very central issues like body, identity, environment, illness and pain, like that kind of issues also. But, you know, within the academic literature, it's very much, um, how can I isolate it? in a way. So there's this thing, feminist ph- phenomenology, eco-phenomenology and phenomenology of pain and illness and that. And everybody has, of course, like their little circles. And so, so I would really like to like kind of bridge them in terms of like discussing maybe, I yeah, like the, what you were saying, like kind of putting, putting them together in a accessible language. If, if I could, uh, that would be probably in, in English. Um, and I'm also interested in, I don't know if I could do it in academia again or, or maybe outside of it, but I'm interested in feminist ethics of care and how I was thinking like recently, uh, how we can think this, this environmental issues and environmental struggles through that, you know, because it's fem- in, in feminist ethics of care, it's already like non-human care is a big thing, you know. Um, but, you know, matters of care, like this big book and, and so on, um, uh, but uh, like not necessarily in terms of these environmental struggles and um, how we care about, you know, non-human entities, you know, what is what is this content of care there? And, and so um, so I would like to also think about that, but I don't know in which form. So I don't know if I would be, I, I live in Germany, as I said, so I'm kind of upset about how, how academic world is structured here. It's that there, there's no permanent positions until you're a professor and there's unlimited and uh, unchecked power when you're a professor. So it's kind of... It's a weird kind of synthesis of in, in neoliberalism and feudalism in, in, in the academic world. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's very much hierarchical. It's, it's also very much like dis, disciplinary and closed kind of in a way. So, uh, yeah, so I feel a bit tired uh, of, of that. So maybe like doing some intellectual stuff out of academia for now.
2: Well, these all sound really exciting. And yeah, I personally am really looking forward to your year of (laughs) reflection and thinking beyond boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds really wonderful. And I'm also looking forward to what may come out of it in either Turkish or English. So I'll be looking forward to that. But for now, thank you very much, Özge, for joining us and for your insights. Thanks, Aliza. It was it was really fun. So it was a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. <laughs> this is your host, Aliza Jan. This discussion of fighting for the river, gender, body and agency in environmental struggles published by the University of California Press in 2023 is brought to you by new books in Middle Eastern studies. Thank you for listening.